This is the Seafair Investor Podcast, bringing you the tides of investing and personal finance from to millennial seafarers and alike. I'm your host, Soshin, a full-time seafarer, value investor, and a personal finance enthusiast. Welcome to episode 24. Today, I am having a special guest in a way that she is known as the darling of the Philippine equities scene. <laughs> My guest is April Litan, first vice president, corporate strategy, and chief investor relations officer of the Philippines' largest stock brokerage firm, Cole Financial. She is well known as the host of the TV show Insights with April Litan for the ANC channel where she interviews relevant people about the stock market and business. Miss April also writes a weekly column named Intelligent Investing for the Philippine Daily Inquirer. Aside from those, Miss April is a chartered financial analyst or CFA and has served as the president of the CFA Philippines and which under her term CFA Philippines won the Global CFA Institute Research Challenge thrice, besting more than 1,000 teams from 98 countries around the world. She also serves as Cole Financial's Chief Equity Strategist. However, we will not be talking most about stocks in our conversation, but instead more on her journey into the finance industry and why she thinks that we need more women in the finance industry, especially on fund managers. We also talk a lot about the financial literacy of Filipinos and how she manages her own money and personal finance. Now again, before I spoil more, <laughs> let's go to my conversation with Miss April Litan of Call Financial. Miss April Tan, welcome to the Seafair Investor Podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me this afternoon or this morning. <laughs> I'm really honored and really looking forward to this conversation as all of my friends and in, in the Discord group that I'm part of, they're really excited for this episode and they really have a lot of questions also and help me uh, do this interview with you. So. Okay, I hope I don't disappoint. So come on, let's start. <laughs> <laughs> so we, can we start by you doing a short introduction of yourself before we delve into the question? I mean, this is not for my Philippine listeners because you, you're you're really famous in the equity space in the Philippines, but this is for my international listeners. Yeah, okay. So so yeah, my name is April Lin Litan and I'm well, by training, I am a financial analyst, so I cover equities or stocks in the Philippines. Um, well, right now, well, before I used to cover listed companies, now I still do a little bit, but right now I'm more focused on the top down picture, so more of uh, strategy when it comes to. Um, what to do with your money when it comes to stocks, like what sectors are going to do better. And then, of course, how the economy is doing. And aside from that, um, I also have a weekly column in the Philippine Daily Inquirer. So 
Uh, even if you're not in the Philippines, of course, uh, that uh, column is available online. So if you're not, and also, of course, if you're a client of CUL Financial, I do write uh, reports there so you can read that. And also, um, I also have a weekly show with um, ANC or the Filipino channel if you're overseas. So it's Inside with April Litan. And, and there I get to interview um, a lot of resource people on different uh, topics of the day that are quite uh, relevant. Okay, so it can be about economics, about different sectors that are hot. Um, to, of course, help you become better investors. Yes, it's those uh, programs and especially the articles are really lovely and good to read. So I encourage the listeners to check them out. But can we shift the, the, the wheels of time a bit? And, you know, can you share your story on how you started your investing journey? in especially being really successful in a tough industry such as finance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so you know when you you ask that question, parang two things come to mind. The first is I guess the career side of it. Um I guess how did I start in the finance industry? I think um well, you know, to tell you honestly, to be honest about everything, when I graduated in college, I didn't know what <laughs> I wanted to do. But, you know, when I was in school, I really, you know, I really liked math. I really liked economics. And, um, you know, unfortunately, in the Philippines, you know, if you graduate from the Ateneo or you or the top universities, you know, the, the companies that are active in recruiting are the fast-moving consumer good companies, which are like your PNGs and Unilever. So, you know, you, you don't really see banks or especially brokerages mm-hmm. or, you know, investment bankers coming to the universities to hire because they want experienced people. They usually hire you after you already know how to do things. So so I didn't know that there was such an industry. But anyway, um, one of my friends was hired by an um, investment company. And then she talked about, you know, what she was doing. And then I said, oh, that's that seems like an interesting job. Because when I was in school, I really liked um, economics. So I felt that, you know, yeah, I'd like to do that. So that was how I started. Now, as far as investing is concerned, I think you have to blame the uh, low interest rate environment. Uh, <laughs> because, of course, I mean, okay, you're an analyst or you're analyzing stocks. So, th- therefore, you know, like, hey, you learn about the company and you think, wow, I think this is a good investment. But, you know, I mean, I'm just like everybody else or normal Filipinos, I would say. Um, especially think about the 1990s interest rates at the time were still high. They're going down already, but still relatively high. But I was thinking, you know, um, it's not as high as it used to be. Is this a rate that I can um, beat? Is it a hurdle rate that I can beat using what I know about the market? Um, and the answer was, you know, I, I'm quite confident that I can beat that hurdle rate. So that's what I did. I um, invested some of my money into stocks and, you know, it was pretty successful. Um, okay, so maybe you... For those of you who are a little bit older like me, you might remember <laughs> the 1990s being the time of the Asian financial crisis. So you might think, what is this girl talking about? During that time, interest rates were so high. So so I just want to say that, um, you know, 
I mean, yeah, interest rates were high, but you know, the they they were um going down already. And and okay, I also invest kasi in the US eh. and of course I have some dollars. So I, I really started being more I would say active in investing in the early 2000s rather than in the 1990s because I had more money already because I started working late 90s so of course the salary was small it wasn't a lot but when I had not really a lot but yung medyo sizable amount already so when I had that sizable amount of course the initial um, the initial mindset is you know I put it in the bank because the banks give you high interest rates but then again, you know, interest rates were starting to go down already at that. And then I also had U.S. dollars. So, you know, I mean, U.S. dollars, you put in the bank, you earn, what, 2%, 3% at that time, <laughs> you know, which is considered high. Um, so I was thinking, you know, I mean, if I put this in the bank, like, I just earned this much. Why don't I just buy um, U.S. stocks? And it, it turned out to be a uh, profitable investment, you know. So, so the that kind of encouraged me to become more active. Now in the Philippines, of course, it it wasn't doing much in the early 2000s until maybe 03, 04, 05. Then the market started to to turn, of course, and, and it was a profitable investment. Um, it, it became a profitable venture. That's why that kind of encouraged me to um, invest more in the market. Mm-hmm. So you started as like a financial an- analyst, and then I I also read that you became a CFA, you know, a chartered financial analyst. Can you you know walk back also how how was the journey in becoming one at those you know those time of you know financial bubbles and crisis? Yeah, so actually it was a good opportunity to study for the to get the charter because I mean at the time. During bear markets, you really aren't busy because there's really not much interest in the market. So you really had a lot of time on your hands. So I took that opportunity to actually study, to take these further studies, to become better at what I do. So, so yeah, that, that really helped, um, you know, the not being so busy. But nowadays, you know, you're always so busy. Even if it's a, a bear market, I mean, a lot of things are going on. So it's a li- and there are a lot more things to read about. It's kind of interesting. I mean, I in in my process, you know, of researching about you, I've read a lot of your articles, especially, and I've come across this one great article that you wrote, you know, years ago about why we need more women in finance and more female fund managers. So I find it really interesting, as the finance industry, as we know, take for granted, is really dominated by men. So. We can start by the title of your article. So why do we need more women in finance? Yeah, I think plain and simple. Um, of course, we all want to our portfolios to perform better. And uh, a lot of studies have shown that uh, funds that are managed by women tend to perform better than those are managed by men. So plain and simple, that's the main reason why Um, You want more women there. And this might be because, of course, for you, for a woman to succeed in a male-dominated industry, you have to be good. And secondly, I mean, women tend to be more diligent in doing research. 
more curious, I mean, more cautious um, when they make decisions. And I think by nature, um, women are more open to admitting when they are wrong, no? Rather than men uh, <laughs> who will continue to <laughs> to fight yes. for their conviction. So I think, I mean, you know, when it comes to managing money, sometimes it's controlling the risk. You know, it's better to be, um, you know, maybe generating a consistent return of uh, high single digit or low double digit rather than having years where you generate a 50% return, but then the next year you're down 20, 30. So sometimes, you know, over the long term, being consistently uh, right or consistently up is better than you know having wonderful years followed by very poor years. So I think that's the reason why women perform better than men. <laughs> and uh, just to follow up, uh, what what trend in gender you know are you seeing now in the finance industry? Is like is it like there's more women now around this time? Well, I, I would say there are more, but. I wouldn't say there are a lot, a lot more. Um, because I think maybe there's not much awareness among women as well um, about availability of this career. And also, um, well, if you think about it, usually because people have this bias as well of, um, of uh, you know, they, they look for male fund managers. They don't look mm-hmm. for funds that are run by female. In fact, if you advertise a fund being run by female, it might even be viewed, say, negatively or, okay, it's uh, it's not sexy, you know. <laughs> because, of course, I mean, think about it. The, the popular uh, fund managers are usually men. That's why if you place your money, usually you're looking for a male fund manager, right? So, so maybe we need to create more awareness uh, about women performing well uh, in the fund management industry and for women to be able to raise more money if they're setting up a fund or, you know, if they're led or, or if we have funds led by women, you know, to be more acceptable to the market. Yes. And and also what what kind of, you know, not, not really programs, but... Um, what initiatives that you've been doing to, you know, promote awareness among women that, you know, being a woman, women in, in finance is such a really good career? Oh, okay. So anyway, CFA, the CFA Society of the Philippines, um, you know, I think March is Women's Month. So we do, you know, Women's Month events. We talk about mm-hmm. um, you know, the need for gender diversity and how having women in in your company's health, um, how the returns are better. So there's this greater awareness, um, you know, and, and funny things, even on the level of the Institute, for example, we have our, uh, the CFA research challenge, no? Um, and they actually recognize teams that are women dominated. You know? So, <laughs> So, so you know, the, I mean, gender diversity is a big thing uh, globally. So, so yeah, um, that that's a that's a good thing that's going on. on. But with the society in the Philippines, um, we we try to create greater awareness um, of uh, 
the finance industry because because usually it's partly uh you know uh, women are just not aware that there are these roles you know and you just have to encourage and and also having role models or people who are successful in the field to talk that also kind of helps because that would encourage other the younger women to also pursue careers in finance yes yes speaking of role models you you yourself is ready being really successful. So I'm really optimistic on the industry also. Given that you've been in finance for more than two decades now, I just want to, I'm curious, like, when was the moment where you knew being in finance or being an analyst is for you? Or in short, what keeps you passionate in the industry? Well, actually, um, when I started working, I... I really liked it. And I said, oh, uh, you know, this is something that I want to do, um, which is why I took the CFA program because I <laughs> felt that it was really, um, you know, the career path that I wanted to take. Uh, because at the time, I was thinking of taking uh, my MBA and then my mentor at the time, my boss, uh, you know, he encouraged me to just take the CFA program because if that's really what I want to do anyway, then maybe I might as well specialize in finance rather than do something more general like an MBA. Um, you know, but, okay, so maybe to, to say why I'm, I'm here, because CUL Financial, which is the company I've worked for, um, is a more of a retail stockbroker. Um, there are so many much bigger finance companies out there, and maybe they mm -hmm. pay even more, right? So why am I still here? And uh, what what makes me happy about what I do? Um, I think what makes me happy about what I do is uh, being able to help um, a lot of retail investors um, reach their goals of uh, attaining financial independence. I mean, that's the most fulfilling part of it. I mean, I also get fulfilled by... You know, the excitement every day that there's always something new, but nothing really beats, you know, meeting somebody who will say, thank you for helping me. I learned a <laughs> lot and I was able to um, make a lot of money because I listened to your advice. So for me, that's the most fulfilling part about doing this. Yes, um, I, I'm i kind of not, not surprised, but it's uh, because the usual... Uh, answers that I get when I ask people what what made you invest is because they they've read the book about Warren Buffett, you know, they read the uh, Benjamin Graham and uh, or or they saw someone in the TV about investing. But uh, yours is much more uh, noble, and I'm really happy for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's a no. It's really very. I don't know, uh, fulfilling <laughs> when you yeah. when you go out there and you know uh, you go to events and people say thank you so much. You know, I, I was able to earn a lot of money, or you know, it just it's very fulfilling. Okay, think about it. If you work for a for a big let let's say I'm a financial analyst and I I I get hired by all the foreign brokers. Um, you know, most likely I'll be talking to institutional investors or the big fund managers. Mm -hmm. But you, th you know, think about it, these big fund managers are being serviced by so many large institutional clients. They don't really need our help. Well, they do, but no, there are so many people who are 
um, running after them because of the volumes that they bring. But I mean, think about the retail investors. Parang who's talking to these people? Because you know, you don't really make a lot of money um, talking to uh, retail investors. And of course, uh, I think I mean we're gonna talk about it, but. There are a lot of misconceptions out there, and of course, there's no confidence among the investors. And then, of course, mm-hmm. you kind of realize that you know a lot of uh, Filipinos, and I mean not only Filipinos, but a lot of people around the world, um, you know, they don't even want to think about the you know eventual reality, which is retirement, because you know they haven't saved enough. So what are they gonna do after they retire, right? So, I mean, for me, it's um. It, it's something that's very important that should be talked about so that people can start preparing for it when they are very young. Yes, uh, I don't know if that's your answer, but I was about to ask <laughs> about what what's the biggest you know misconception of people that you often you know encounter if people hear that you are working in cold financial or or maybe in the whole finance industry here in the Philippines. What what's their you know their most misconceptions yeah. that you you think? I think you know the the idea that investing is just for rich people with a lot of capital. Uh, yes. Maybe <laughs> maybe in the past it was that way, but now it's not it's not like that anymore, or it's too hard. Um, and also getting discouraged when you lose money. Um, just to say, for example. Um, Maybe in the past, okay. Yes, it's true. If you're rich, you have your private bankers. But doesn't mean that you don't have a lot of money, you can't invest. Because, for example, um, there are mutual funds right now, which you can buy for as little as, say, 1,000 pesos. That's like $20. Okay. And so, mm-hmm. so you know, I mean, that's, well, for some people, 1,000 pesos is a lot of money. And I know that. But, if you think about it in a month, say a thousand pesos, you divide it by 30 days. I mean, that's 30, 40 pesos a day. So I think that's something that you can set aside or, you know, maybe do it every two months first. And then, you know, when you get the hang of it, do every three, you know, make it every month, you know, that you can set aside a thousand pesos and then, you know, commit it to yourself that you're going to invest uh, those little amounts of money until eventually they will become. Um, worth a lot because maybe in the past you couldn't do it but now you can and again mutual funds you know believe it or not Filipinos think that mutual funds are complicated but they're not because what happens is you know you just call it a mutual fund because your funds are pulled together with the funds of other Filipinos that's why you called it call it a mutual fund because you think about it um, earlier on we talked about investing is for the rich this is because, of mm-hmm. course, you cannot buy a lot of stocks when you only have 1,000 pesos, right? But if you pull together all the funds of all these people, um, it will be a lot of money. And when it becomes a lot of money, then you can afford to hire a fund manager who will take care of those funds and buy a diversified portfolio for you, which is why um, you know, there are solutions for people who um, don't have a lot of money at one point in time and you know who don't really know how how this investing thing works because you can afford to hire a fund manager by buying mutual funds or unit investment trust funds you know they're they're the same thing they're just managed by 
um, trust institutions rather than uh, SEC accredited institutions. Yes, um, just to also you know uh, follow up on the questions. In 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 regards, you said that it's the mutual funds are one you know one of the best way to expose in just one thousand pesos. Is there's also like a, a common, not really gripe, but um problem on how much they charge in in being a mutual fund itself. I mean, if you compare how expensive here in the Philippines compared to the U.S., so. I mean, there there was such an an article I, <laughs> I I encountered that it's better to just buy this index funds that is available in the Philippines compared to buying uh, a mutual fund. So, what I want to know your thoughts on on this. Yeah, I mean, it's true. Um, there are funds that charge a lot, which is why you know, for example, at COL Financial, we provide information about these management fees. Now about paying. Um, these funds, my my view is if they can perform well, then they deserve what they're being paid. But if you look at their performance and they're underperforming, why should I pay more? Okay, that, that's a thing. But of course, they're saying because um, uh, if you charge a lot, uh, based on studies, uh, they said usually you cannot uh, make up for it. And these charges are... Sure, but the performance is not. So you might as well stick to an index fund, which is also the advice of Warren Buffett. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. You you can do that. And then if you have time, usually naman, as a, an individual investor, you will have some conviction about particular stocks. So what you could do is you could buy an index fund with uh, maybe 60, 70% of your funds and then the balance of 30%. You can choose the stock that you like, you know, a stock that you have strong convictions about. Um, I mean, I always tell that to clients because, you know, like, for example, our clients love Jollibee. That's like everybody's favorite <laughs> stock. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in a bear market right now. So it's a good opportunity to actually uh, buy your mm-hmm. your favorite stocks, no? like your Jollibee's or maybe your SMs, which you love going to the mall or some other <laughs> things like that. So now's a good opportunity. So may, maybe you only like one stock. So you could do like a 70% index plus, uh, you know, another favorite stock that you like. You know, ganon. So, so, I mean, yeah, I agree. And you could also do ETFs. Unfortunately, in the Philippines, we don't really mm, have. We don't have. <laughs> yeah, um, we, we do, but it's just one and then it's not so liquid. But but then again, I mean, let's hope that in the future, of course, the direction will be for for that industry to also grow so that there will be more opportunities and the cost would go down for investors. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't have any problems with mutual funds and uh, unless, of course, you understand what you're getting into. And then for me, mutual funds are more accessible than, you know, ETF. You know, we only have one ETF here and the way to buy them is, you know, you you also have to learn how to buy individual stocks. So, yeah, I know the the barrier of accessibility is much more higher in ETF. So I mean, mutual funds is a good way to dip yourself in the water of finance, and then you know you can move through there. But <laughs> yeah, I want to kind of steer you know the conversation now and talk about stocks. But I will I will not ask any stock picks. It's this is not it's already available in call, so <laughs> no need to really ask on the podcast. But I want to ask on on when on the time when an investment 
of yours, you know, failed. I mean, I just want to ask is if it's like, like if it's a high conviction one, and then suddenly you've been proven wrong, how do you deal with it? You know, how do you deal with failure? Yeah. Um, I guess first of all is to analyze why you made the mistake, no? Um, and of course, to learn from that mistake. And I think uh, most importantly is to manage risk. And one of the ways you manage risk is to cut losses. You have to learn how to cut losses, you know? Okay, so just to give you an example. Um, okay, I've been through several bear markets. Okay, so so usually that's where you make the mistake. Eh? Um you know, the price goes down, you get excited, then you buy the stock because it's a good company anyway. Um, and then, of course, it just keeps on going down and down and down because you were <laughs> a little bit early when you start when you started buying it. Um, unfortunately for people who, you know, are very stubborn, who don't admit that they made a mistake, you probably end up with a loss of north of 50%, right? Um, and then when the market recovers, you think it's your chance to escape when in fact it, the the market is already reversing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, so, 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 you know, so that said, so the first time that happens, you're so scared when, you know, the, you get trapped. So the first mm-hmm. time you're excited and then the market goes down, then at the bottom you get scared. That's why you always think there's a conspiracy against you. You know, the market is not for you. But if you really analyze the situation, then well, you kind of realize, well, yeah, it's a bear market. So, um, you know, the way, the way the stock moves, is not normal. So this means it's a bear market. And we know when it's a bear market, you're not supposed to be heavy. That's why, you know, I, I, I write about investing during bear markets. I always talk about how it really is a great opportunity because there are a lot of people who become emotional and they sell um, their positions to a value that's really so cheap, you know. Uh, but the only way that you can ride a bear market is, first of all, you don't have too much invested. It's a small amount that you know you can hold on to for a long time, such that when the market recovers, you're you're just there. You you make a lot of money, um, you know. Um, and you can do peso cost averaging because the price can trend lower. Nobody knows when it's going to end. Um, and of course, diversifying because, um, you know, you might have some high convictions about certain things. But then again, nobody knows, right? Um, <laughs> which one uh, will go up first? So, so you diversify it to different uh, companies. And of course, usually when the market recovers, it will start with a blue chip. So, so those are the things that I've learned. And, and again, um, well, cutting losses. Um, okay, so there's a chance you might have bought early. But then when you realize that you have bought early and you don't really have a lot of capital, you should be open to cutting losses because it saves you a lot. You know, let's say your position is down 20%. A lot of people will say, but I'm talo or I've lost money. I don't want to sell a losing position. That's not allowed. And if you think about it, there are some, um, some companies, uh, profession, professional companies that have rules like that. We never sell at a loss. Um, for me, I think you should open uh, yourself to selling at a loss. Um, uh, personally, I do that. I sell at a loss because I mean, first of all, um, you know how it is. It's like relationships, diba. <laughs> sometimes you have to cut the ties for you to move on. 
you know, you just have to end it. So that when the market recovers, you know, you're starting fresh and you have capital and, you know, it just helps a lot. Na, you know, I mean, I, I just want to start fresh, you know, I don't want to think about my losing position. So rather than, you know, when it goes up, you're still pessimistic, you become more optimistic because you're not sitting on this excess baggage of a loss. But that's my own personal, ano, my own personal takeaway when it comes to losses. That's why I cut losses. Also, it's easier said than done. So, <laughs> um, I want to also ask. Um, I'm also really curious because I always ask people that on, on about this on on the podcast. What is your worst investment bias? Yeah, you you mentioned um a while ago or anyway during the, the, our informal <laughs> email exchanges <laughs> about the anchoring bias, no. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, in a way, I think I'm also guilty of that, no. Especially like, oh, I've seen it at that price, you know. It should be back at that price, right? So, so yeah. But then again, as I've said, um, in a way, it kind of prevents you from being objective. So sometimes you have to like stop, you know, stop yourself and okay, this is wrong. I shouldn't do this, you know. Uh, so so yeah i think it's the same you know i have i have that problem but but yeah i mean i kind of catch myself and tell myself you know stop doing this <laughs> change change <laughs> no 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 yeah how do you deal with that kind of you know bias i mean because oftentimes we don't really uh consciously uh feel it how do you deal do you have some approach you know or process in just you know acknowledging that bias and then taking out in the equation of your investing uh, to tell you honestly, you know, I mean, okay, if I don't really need the money, I let my anchoring bias get away with it. <laughs> but, but you know, I mean, I for me, it's more like I think about the future. What if I just let it be and if it stays weak, then what will happen to me, right? Because um, we, we have other new ideas or other stocks that we want to buy but cannot buy because we don't have any more capital. So you think about it. If if you want to keep your losing stock, then it's keeping you from going after um, better opportunities. Now, if you think about that, then, oh, okay, I might as well just sell it because I don't want to, I don't want to put in more money before I can buy another stock. I just want to use my existing capital, right? So, so you think about it that way. So you haven't, tried you know averaging down on your picks you just cut loss and then start anew and the cycle again sometimes i do i cut losses but uh, sorry i average down yeah i do I, I also do but i mean there are certain things that have to happen for me to do that and if i do that and continues to go down then i kind of ask myself already um maybe there is something going on that that I don't know or where I can be wrong. And you talk to people and then you kind of realize, oh, they might be right. And then I kind of cut loss. And okay, I'm a fundamentalist by training, but um, I'm not a hardcore fundamentalist. Na kami lang, that we're the only ones who are mm. right. No, I'm also, I also listen to technicians um, and I, you know, I respect what they say um, and I respect uh, what uh, the stocks are saying um, and, and you know I mean the market is 
usually right. So you just follow that. Yeah, and also I want to um, interject this um, question. Investing or what we're doing is kind of a game that we don't know if we are good. I don't know if you see my point, but it's because it's it's not the same as you know playing basketball, where you say where where you see a player play basketball, you immediately know that he's good at basketball. But with investing or what we are doing, even if you have like five years of good performance, it doesn't guarantee that you're gonna continue being really good. So in in that regard, I mean, how how are you dealing with that kind of? I don't know if it's that a dilemma you have, but I have. <laughs> I mean, this kind of um, problem that I I think I'm not really good for this. Ah, <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> that, that's a that's a hard um, that's a hard uh, question to answer. But I, I guess investing, because um, you also get the fulfillment eh, of. Uh, you know, you have your ways of analyzing stocks and why you buy something. And, you know, when you make money, you feel fulfilled. I think there's also that angle. Um, so it, it doesn't matter if I'm not good. I'm just, I'm just happy <laughs> that, you know, I have this idea na, and then um, I'm proven right by what I do. So, so yeah, I mean, there's also that, that part of investing, you know, that's why... Um, I enjoy it. I, I really love doing what I do. The the challenge keeps you going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I want to move now into you know personal finance, and I don't know if someone or already asked you this live or in the media, but how do you do your own personal finance, and also how do you invest your own money? Yeah. Okay. So. So one part of it, of course, is I I buy stocks, um, but you know what you know the problem of stocks is uh, it's very volatile. So in a way, you can't invest too much. You know, you there's only a certain size that you can manage. Um, it, I I earlier on talked about how the low interest rate environment encouraged me to buy stocks because I felt that I could do better than just putting my money in the bank, right? So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I just want to share with you um, one thing that I always uh, talk about when I, I talk about personal finance. It's like my children's money um, mm-hmm. because I'm Chinese and you know naman the Chinese when you have a baptismal party or whatever, usually the <laughs> uncles, the aunts, whatever, they'll just give you this angpao, this money and then, you know, because they don't want to give to your kids. And you know when I when I started um, you know th- th- when I first daughter um, I opened her a bank account and then the bank was giving a high interest rate higher interest rate because of course they're kids then I kind of realized are you stupid that's why they're giving you high interest rates because you won't touch that money anyway so I said oh yeah 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 so why should I put the money there so I bought her a fund <laughs> instead and you know it it paid off the money compounded and it earned quite a bit so i think that's um you know uh one good tip like if you're setting aside money for um your children or they get money you put it in a fund because they're not gonna invest and we know that um stocks are very volatile but over the long term they perform the best therefore 
Um, if you have money that you don't need, uh, then you, you set it aside and you don't even think about that money because in, in your wallet, in your wallets, that's mm-hmm. part of the money that you don't touch, right? The money that is for your children in the future that you spend for, say, their education or um, for you for your when they get married, right? or even for yourself, like if you are setting aside a small amount for your retirement, you know, that's not something that you should be touching. Um, so that that's one part of my investing. And another part of it is also because of the low interest rate environment. Okay, like um, we just had this discussion, my husband and myself. Uh, mm. You know, our, our goal, um, at one point we kind of realized we want our goal to be to have the same amount of passive income by the time we retire compared to our income today. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because of that, we felt that the easiest way to, or at least a more measured way of achieving that is by buying um, and investing in real estate. But, you know, for us, our, when we invest in real estate, where we don't invest speculatively for the capital appreciation, we usually go for income generating real estate. Because, of course, we have a, a target income in mind by the time mm-hmm. we retire. And, of course, another beautiful thing about properties is because you could actually leverage it. Meaning, you know, I don't need to have 10 million pesos to buy a 10 million peso property. I only need, say, a million or two million. But the eight million I can borrow. And if I look at my income, I mean, if I can afford the monthly amortization, and if I can rent out this property and it generates a certain rental income, then I'm good to go. So that's the reason why we went into um, properties as well, because that is um, one of our objectives. By the time we retire, the loan has to be paid and the income has to match what we're earning today. So that, you know, for me, that is real financial freedom. By the time you retire, you don't worry that you know you can't like slow down i don't want to work anymore i don't think i can work but i my lifestyle will not change because i still have this income yeah that's really great i, I mean i also want to you know fa- follow up if it's okay to ask uh, because you mentioned you know stocks are one of the you know best assets to own and also you also mentioned real estate so i am curious like what's your allocation between the two because it, is it, it depends on which macro environment you are in or you have this certain you know percentage in your allocations uh well okay so i admit my i'm predominantly more of a, a a real estate investor but it's by virtue of you know you can't really buy a property <laughs> for a small amount of money you you have to have quite a bit but you know, it wasn't always that way. Of course, the the values have appreciated as well. But then you know, I mean, um, my pro- uh, my stock portfolio is also big. So percentage wise, I don't know because you know, I I don't really naman buy properties to sell. Eh. And of course, I have to factor in the debt level also. So mm-hmm. there's also that offset. No, so. So yeah, it, it, it's complicated. In other words, it's <laughs> it's complicated. Yeah, it's that's why they say that you know personal finance is more personal than finance. So it, there's no there's no fixed rule that applies to everybody. So I want to also transition. Um, 
I know that you're passionate on spreading financial wellness among Filipinos, and I won't dig deeper into those because it's readily available in the internet. But I want to ask, you know, what financial advocacy you personally think Filipinos lack? Mm, well, okay, I was thinking about that a while ago, and you you can ask. Um, you know, nga, diba, a while ago, I talked about Filipinos thinking that you have to be rich to invest. Um, mm-hmm. so, so now I'd like to shift gears and talk about the spending habits, siguro. Uh, mm. first of all is, um, you know, it, it's not only Filipino, it's everybody. And, and I myself catch myself doing that. Now, sometimes, you know, um, okay, you, you don't invest and then you think, oh, oh shucks, this, I'm, I'm gonna go buy this item on sale in Shopee or Lazada because it's just so cheap anyway. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you just buy all these useless things because they're cheap. But if you think about it, if you, you don't really need it and you just, uh, don't spend that money and then you, you can invest, diba? And, and, um, another thing I realized is that, you know, there are a lot of people out there when you look at them, parang wow, they, they they look so rich. They they own the nicest bags. They wear the nicest clothes. <laughs> they have the nicest cars. Um, you know, but th- why do people think that you have to spend a lot or to act the part of being successful, diba? Right? Um, and and that's something that I don't really believe in. Um, but then deep inside they know they don't have money. <laughs> Because I think, you know, the confidence in yourself that you have money when the going gets tough is more important than showing people that, you know, I've su- I've succeeded by showing them that you have a lot of yes. material possessions that are useless anyway. You know, you have to keep up with the Joneses, which I, I don't believe mm-hmm. in that, you know. So, so I, I hope that a lot of those who are attending today will really think about you know the need to show people that they are successful so why why do you need to show people that you are successful it doesn't really matter right well at least i don't think it matters <laughs> it's also i mean it's really hard also to kind of shed off that kind of mentality because because especially with social media Nowadays, I mean, our generation is really more on showing off, you know. So it's one of maybe the problems of my millennial generation to keep up, you know, with with what his his or her friends are doing. So it's like, yeah, it's like a meter stick that doesn't end. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I think what's good is that you know um, that you have money when it matters the most during times of an emergency rather than, you know, you keep on um, showing people that you have a lot. But then when it really matters, when you really need the money, you don't have it. So that, it's really very tough, right? Yeah, that's why emergency fund is a must. Yeah, that's true. Okay, on, on towards, you know, a lighter note of the conversation, I want to ask what passions or hobbies you are pursuing Outside of finance industry, um, well, one of the things that I've picked up a few years ago is to start running, and uh, well, you know, I, I initially I just did that because you know when we hit the age of thirty, um, I, I jokingly tell my friends, you know, it's like it's like a chart. 
usually your weight is just, you know, consolidating, <laughs> you know. And then when you hit 30, it's like it breaks out. <laughs> it's an area pattern breakout. When you think about it, it just goes up, inches up slowly. So uh, in my 30s, I started picking up running. And uh, from there, I didn't think much about it, but then it, it became a hobby, uh, very interesting. And um, one of the things that I like to do is, you know, when I travel, um, I'll wake up early and then I'll go out and then, you know, I just go run around the the neighborhood. It, it, it's very interesting, you know. Um, and I've joined marathons overseas, and it's also mm. it's also fun. It's very fulfilling, and the training itself is something that you know I could talk about a lot with with people like, <laughs> share and you know these things like that. It's just it's it's very interesting, you know. So can you share, you know, your secrets in running good or <laughs> what do you do? Yeah, you have to consistently do it. Um, you have to train. It's it's a lot of training. It you you run like oh when I when I joined the marathon, um, I trained like five days a week. Uh, yeah, and total kilometers a week probably like thirty plus to forty kilometers of training on the average per week. And then different types of trainings. Then you had your speed training, <laughs> and then the, the long distance, then slow pace, and then you have to practice. Um, they call it nutrition. I thought, what nutrition are you talking about? It's more like what you're gonna eat while you're running, because you're gonna become empty, and then you have to practice mm-hmm. like the hydration. It's really very interesting, like the tips on how to run faster, and then you incorporate a little bit of weight training, you know. It's very interesting. And also another interesting that I want to ask is, um, you know, some people in or my or my friends in Discord, they're asking if if you have you know beauty skincare tips that you're doing to stay really young even at your age. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I really don't know. It's it's genetics, you know. Oh, yeah, genetic lottery. Genetic, yeah, yeah. It, it's really um, genetic. But then, well, I don't really... Uh, well, you put lotion, sunblock. That's what the doctor said. So kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, you have to be very diligent about that. Um, and of course, uh, you know, lately I've been using more makeup because uh, because of the show, right? Um, I do mm-hmm. a show for AMC. Um my my kids taught me to use oil cleanser. That that's mm. very effective because initially when I didn't use oil cleanser, the oil cleanser, um, you know, you couldn't remove everything. It's really very hard. So so I guess being very diligent about cleaning your face well to remove all the dirt that that's also important. You know. Yeah. So for those listening, you know, listen to the tips, <laughs> and uh, you know, for a bit you know, go back to personal finance. I want to ask if you have any tips for my fellow millennial seafarers that are listening now and also your fans. <laughs> because the the seafarers, you know, usually go home with significant amount of money in their account and they don't usually don't know what to do with it. So they end up spending it. So just want to ask any tips you can give to them. Yeah, I think, okay. Um, You know, I, I kind of... My husband and I were just talking about this, and I, I, I told him, you know, I, I also kind of understand, like if you got, if you get a lot of money, 
you need to be mentally prepared for it. Because if you're not, you know what will happen is, okay, um, usually what, what happens, ah, I mean, personally, I, I've also encountered such an experience with others, but usually when they think you have a lot of money, um, they will borrow from you, friends, relatives, because, you know, I mean, life, life just happens and people have problems and they, and they think of you because they think, oh, my tito or, you know, my friend is now very rich because he came from abroad. He has a ton of money. And, you know, because, you know, you have a good heart. You lend them the money and you feel like there's a lot of money. I have a lot of money anyway. But then, but then you know, like, I don't know. It's so hard to collect that money when, you know, they're having problems and you're, and you're going to collect it. And they probably, they probably won't be able to pay you right away. So I think... Uh, when you come home, you already have to have this mindset that, okay, maybe 80% of it I will already allocate to buy an asset that will generate some passive income for me rather than keeping it just in cash. Because if you keep it in cash, then unfortunately, um, you're just going to end up using it or you'll be tempted to use it. Maybe um, use it to buy an asset um, and buy an asset that generates an income so that if your family needs money, then they have to stick within that budget of the income that is generated by that asset. Diba? Um, and if your friends ask you, can I borrow money? Even if you want to help them, you cannot help them because you don't have that money anymore, right? Mm. You've already set it aside. I mean, it's okay. You you can lend them money. But, you know, for example, um, The Richest Person in Babylon, I think it's a book. It, it, it kind of talked mm-hmm. about, you know... Um, uh, this dilemma of helping people. It's more like if you help people, um, they ask you for money. When you give it to them, don't you have to have the mindset that there is a possibility that they will never pay you back. Because there is a chance that they will never pay you back. And if they're your friends, you know, um, you don't want uh, to impose on them, especially when they're having a difficult time. So just rather than um, give them money, thinking that they will pay you back, which, you know, could be a lot of money. Just give them a certain amount and tell them that, you know, it's okay. This is my help for you. So to just, you know, summarize what you uh, gave that tip. So for my fellow seafarers, you know, just to, if you go home, you put 80% into an asset and then you can allocate a percentage of your salary to, you can say like charity for friends. (laughs) That you can yeah, yeah. you can lend. You don't go yes. out, naman, uh, You know, you don't go out like giving it away. It's more like okay, if your friends ask for help, then maybe you can mm-hmm. give them a little bit, right? Rather than you know turning them down and saying I don't have money, right? But I mean, you, you have to think about yourself because when the time <laughs> comes, you don't have money, and then you go to them, they probably don't have money either, so they cannot help you. <laughs> like what? What about what about you, right? I mean, we're not going to yeah. be young forever, right? Yeah, self-love first. Yeah. <laughs> so before you know, I go to the last question that I ask my guests every end of the show, where can people find more of your work or if they or places they, they can connect with you? Yeah, so, well, first of all, of course, I write for COL Financial. Um, that's where I work. So um, I write my thoughts about the market there. Um, and then on a weekly or I try 
weekly <laughs> basis, <laughs> I submit a column uh, for the Inquirer. It's titled Intelligent Investing. Um, and then I have a show um, with ANC. Um, abroad, it's the Filipino channel. Um, mm-hmm. in, inside with April Lee Tan. And th- th- they actually are available in YouTube. Um, but you have to look for it. Um, but you search Insight with April <laughs> and you know the back the old episodes you can look for them there. Um, I'm also in Twitter um, at April Tan, so you can also go there. I mean Facebook, yeah, they repost um, some of my articles there, but I'm not too active in answering. I know it kind of shows my age, you know. <laughs> I'm not so attuned with social media. <laughs> So, so yeah, I mean, uh, those are ways by which, you know, I'm going to share my thoughts. Yeah, if people are going to, I'm just going to post in the description of the podcast episode where they can find out more about you. So, again, this is a question that I like to ask my guests at the end of the show. And I actually changed this because the previous one that I asked on the guests is really broad. (laughs) And so... And this question, I will admit also that I stole from another podcast. <laughs> but here it is. Um, so the question is, what worries you and also excites you about the future? You know, what's the very thing that keeps you awake at night? Well, let's talk about what excites me um, first. I think maybe for for the Philippines, it's, you know, the potential for the Philippines to become a big economy to grow fast because of our young demographics, no, uh, us being in the demographic sweet spot, and of course, us being Filipinos, uh, to capitalize on this, and of course, some some government regulations that are supposed to, um, you know, encourage more investments into the country. So that's kind of exciting. Um, but then what keeps me awake or, I mean, sadly... <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. what's stopping the Philippines? I mean, you know, my boss and I always talk about this, or he always tells us, you know, the Philippines has always been a very promising country. But, you know, fast forward to today, you know, what has happened? Not much. I mean, I, I, I don't want us to be like this forever, always promising, but never really attaining our best. So, so it doesn't really keep me awake at night, but, um, you know, it, it's very sad. I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I hope that we don't have to keep on thinking about uh, sending OFWs, right? Mm-hmm. That we can actually find the good jobs locally so that everybody will be with their families, right? Um, so, so yeah, those are, those are my hopes. And, and, and you know, sana naman, not forever. Um, it's, it's just a hope. It actually comes through in, our lifetimes. Yeah, I, I really hope that it will materialize maybe so, someday or soon enough. So we all hope for a better Philippines. So yes, again, thank you, Miss April Tan, uh, for the really lovely conversation and really ge- you're really generous on <laughs> giving the answers for my uh, questions. And uh, I hope in the future uh, we can have more of this uh, podcast interviews. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Okay, yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you to you and um, and to your listeners. And I hope I was able to help them. It really did. You really did. Thank you. <laughs>
Thank you. Thank you so much.